Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. By the time you hear this program, we will be at the one-year anniversary date of the presidency of Donald Trump. There was a poll just taken in which 1,350 people were asked questions along the lines of whether Donald Trump had been a success or a failure in his first year in office. Well, judging success or failure of a president, of a presidency in one year's time, is perhaps a dubious uh, endeavor. You certainly can see whether an individual in that position has done something outright evil that has become known in the public eye, but judging success or failure again, in that time span, is just a wee bit of an iffy proposition. That being said, to reach conclusions based on the insightful analysis of 1,350 people randomly chosen, uh, that is an even iffier proposition. But Based on his campaign slogan, and if you will, promise to make America great again, I think it is fair to say that that hasn't been reached, that hasn't been accomplished. But what is greatness? If you recall in a previous program, I mentioned about a former United States ambassador Thomas Pickering, ambassador to Russia previously. And he stated the following, quote, We are, I think, in the eyes of people overseas declining, end quote. Now that quote was apparently made at the end of December, sometime in the end of December. The statement that, in his view, his opinion, that the public opinion of the United States of America around the world had diminished. So you could say that people of the world feel, felt, and feel that the United States of America is less great than it used to be. But if we go back some decades back to a time when, say, a Ronald Reagan was president of the United States, he was not viewed oh too favorably by people around the world, by a great many people around the world. Now, perhaps, perhaps there were many behind the Iron Curtain who were not in influence and power, but who were simply the downtrodden masses who viewed him favorably, but he was viewed very negatively by a great many people. As I've mentioned before, as I mentioned before Trump was elected president, as I mentioned before Trump took office, Donald Trump is not Ronald Reagan. He is not a Ronald Reagan. He is not Ronald Reagan 2.0. He is not Ronald Reagan 0.5. Very different fellow and very inferior. As far as I am concerned, greatly inferior. And those people who so exceedingly enthusiastically supported him, imagining that he was, in essence, if you will, a second coming of Ronald Reagan, they were 
to put it very gently, either naive or gullible or a blind, ignorant, foolish, what have you. But, again, given the option of Hillary Rodham Clinton, Donald Trump was the only choice to make. As for making America great again, that presupposes that America was great. And America was great in many ways. But how do we measure greatness? What is greatness? Really? Our language is so corrupted and perverted that even just very basic, basic things have been so contorted and twisted and perverted that they not only don't mean in public understanding, public parlance, they do not any longer stand for what they're supposed to stand for, mean what they're supposed to mean, but instead mean something very different. And the corruption of language destroys, undermines, and destroys communication and understanding. A few small cases in point would be, when's the last time you heard the phrase that somebody stated that they were single? They're single now. They're asked if they're married or, or something like that. Or what their status is. Are they available? Oh, I'm single. And what they're referring to is not that they have not been married. But rather that as of this moment in time. That they're not sexually involved with somebody. They may have been an hour ago. They may have been yesterday. It's very common. In movies, in romantic dramedies, romantic comedies, even on the Hallmark channels, it's very common for people to refer to themselves as now being single, that they are single now, when in point of fact they were literally sharing a hotel room with their ex the night before, the day before, the week before, or an apartment. Or what have you. And their X. You know what used to be. That X. Used with reference to. Lover. (laughs) Meant. Not a lover. Not just. Whoever they were with. Two ships passing in the night. But rather. That it referred to their former wife, their former husband, from whom they are now divorced. That was the meaning of it. Their former spouse was their ex-spouse. It was like with regard to Christmas, truncating that and changing that to be Xmas. The reason for that was to eliminate Christ from Christmas. It wasn't something that it just accidentally happened. It was deliberately, premeditatedly constructed to deconstruct Christmas, to eliminate the meaning of Christmas and to make it Xmas. And it was the secularization of Christmas. So too here with regard to Former husband, former wife became ex, their ex. Well, now it's not former husband, former wife. It's former lover, former lover for a blink of the eye, former lover that they were living with for, oh, I don't know, 10 months, 10 years, while they were playing the field with others and what have you, but their ex. That person is now relegated to ex status. And now they're single, meaning now they're available. Now they're free to mingle. Now they're free to play the field without being cheating on somebody. Cheating being 
the term that was used to supplant adultery. It used to be that when people were dating, that that was, it was the modern version, or you could say the (laughs) undermined version of courtship. It was dating. But that changed. Just like these terms of boyfriend and girlfriend, which I've always thought were just bizarre and absurd with reference to people of certain ages being referred to boyfriends and girlfriends. Boyfriends and girlfriends used to be teenagers. Now you hear of it with regard to people that are in their 90s, their boyfriend and their girlfriend. It's incredible. But anyway, dating did not use to mean people being sexually involved with one another. It was romantic, but it was more akin to when it was referencing boyfriend and girlfriend, it was referencing puppy love, what is referred to as puppy love, or infatuation, or these different things like that. Or first love. And then, for those that were past their teens, they were not referred to as boyfriends and girlfriends. These were men and women, after all. But dating now means they're living together. Or if they're not in the same residence that the only distinction between living together and their status is that they're not spending the night all night with each other on a regular basis. But a very, very, very different thing from dating. It reminds me of an experience that I had way back when, when I was a teenager. And I flew across the country to see a doctor. I was having protracted illness, and I had had protracted illness throughout my life from the time I was a baby. But anyway, flew across the country to be checked out by this doctor who had succeeded his father, who was an absolutely tremendous doctor, and his son was a fine doctor as well. And I stayed at a hotel uh, for a night, and I was in the Bay Area, and I went to this doctor in Oakland, and then I went to San Francisco, and I ended up staying in Hawaii for a night or whatever. This is before I flew back across the country, and I was walking around outside on the streets, and I went into some place, and I can't remember what it was, and There were some unsavory people there. And this one guy comes up to me, this one black guy comes up to me and wants to know if I want to date his wife. Well, dating had a different meaning all of a sudden for me than it had previously because the lights came on and I got an understanding of what it was he was referring to, alluding to. And as shocking as that was, I just kind of, I tucked that dating reference out of mind. Okay, it just, it wasn't, wasn't the word, it was what was being communicated there. Well, then years later, I happened to be approached by some woman or other with reference to the same kind of question. Did I want a date? And the idea that prostitutes were using such terms was shocking to me. And that's where it kind of came into common parlance, I guess, was this matter of it being a propositional Reference. 
But now we have this strange, corrupted society in which what is unsavory and vile and lewd and profane is mainstream. Not on the fringes, not something you might happen to see or encounter or be accosted by, but where it is mainstream. And you are continually bombarded with it in the major media, whether it happens to be the movies or television or TV movies or on the radio or what have you. Words have meanings. But when those meanings become corrupted and perverted, it breaks down communication, it breaks down understanding. As far as which way to go at this moment, back to greatness or to something else, an element of greatness. What is greatness, really? I've always hated this as far as in politics. Well, I'm not fond of politics, but I've always hated this in politics. We have these great conventions, right? Presidential conventions. And one state after another has their spokesman for their delegation stand up and be counted and say, the great state of such and such casts its 39 electoral votes for the next president of the United States, blah, 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 blah. Right? The great, every single state is the great state of. Reminds me of these football players when you see the lineups, college lineups are one thing, but in the NFL, they will refer to where they were from in terms of their university, their alma mater. And then you've, get, you've got the, the ones who are so cute and funny and they refer to their high school or they refer to something else. But uh, the Ohio State University, right? The pompous <laughs> expression of this, not Ohio State, but the Ohio State University. Or the this or that or the other. And, and, and they do them different ways. And, and there's this pomp and circumstance and this pomposity and arrogance to it. And the great state. Well, as you look across the United States of America... And you look back in time across the United States of America, back to before the United States of America, you find the greatest greatness of this nation. And that was the founding of this nation. And of course, there are those who will say those aren't the founders. The founders were the Native Americans, who, of course, cannot be referred to as Indians because that's just wrong. Uh, But anyway... They were the indigenous tribes, okay? As if they sprouted up here, they didn't come here from somewhere else. This is where they started, okay? And that's one perspective, one view is that, yes, the, these people were from here. They were always here, you know, after, after people came into existence as a result of billions and billions and billions of years, light years even, and the primordial moot ooze, you know, all these chemical interactions and what happened, uh, or there was the Big Bang, or all of these other bizarre, absurdly false, fraudulent explanations of how we got here. But, and of course, then the people just happened to come forth on this earth all across the globe. Well... The true founding of this nation was via the pilgrims and the Puritans. They were not the first people here. And there are those who insist the Vikings preceded them. 
But as far as the greatness of this nation, what it dates back to, there were people here. But the greatness of this nation dates back to the pilgrims and Puritans, regardless whether 1,350 Americans at this point in time would agree with that, at least 50.1% of them or whatever, you know, on some poll. That happens to be a fact. The greatness of this nation began then with the pilgrims and continued with the Puritans and continued on up through the colonies and then into this independent nation. But there are those who perhaps view greatness as being something that is devoid of any imperfections. A place like that has never existed on the face of the earth. A nation, a country devoid of imperfections, devoid of injustice, devoid of inequity, devoid of wrongs. It has never existed, it never will exist until the millennial reign of Christ, which actually is not that far away. But as far as restoring this nation to greatness, what that greatness is supposed to be in terms of making America great again. It is a, these terms that are used, have you heard the term uh, or the expression, the figure of speech, taking a high view? Well, in my view, a high view is actually a low view, but a high view meaning a very general, oversimplified perspective of something. But as far as greatness, this great America that is to be brought forth again, (laughs) okay, we're going like an archaeological dig. We're going to scrape away at the earth. We're going to sweep away at the dirt, sweep it back, and get back to the great America that used to exist. It's not going to happen. It's not something that can be politically achieved for myriad reasons. As I've said before, the only way to achieve reformation in this nation is going to be spiritually, is going to be evangelistically, is going to be by Christian revival. It cannot happen any other way. Our political system is corrupted and perverted. Our justice system is unjust. Our political system is a popularity contest, which over the decades has shown forth as being something less than a level playing field. Whether you view it as being rigged or whether you view it as being controlled or whether you view it as being free and fair and representative of the public will, whatever the public is, is another matter. There is a university president, our chancellor of Southern New Hampshire University, and there are a couple different versions of his statements 
in their advertisements on television. That Well, they have more than those, but there are two advertisements in particular in which he addresses the student body or prospective student body or what have you. And he says the following, and this is just a partial quote, but he says the following, quote, the world in which we live equally distributes talent, but it doesn't equally distribute opportunity. And then he continues on with it. So let me just repeat that again. Quote, the world in which we live equally distributes talent, but it doesn't equally distribute opportunity, dot, 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 quote, end quote. So the world, now this, this is a university, a very successful university, which is focused on the online or distance education, niche within education, which is a tremendous development as compared to decades ago when people didn't have that opportunity to be able to take college courses, college curriculum online or from distance, to telecommute as you will, to be able to fit that into their schedules for stay-at-home mothers to be able to pursue degrees, for people not to have to uproot their families, people that were in the workplace and wanted to pursue college degrees or postgraduate degrees or what have you. It is a tremendous development, a tremendous improvement over the way things used to be in terms of opportunity. But... This idea that the world in which we live distributes talent is a lie to the core, to the foundation. The world does not distribute talent. This is an intelligent man, a knowledgeable man, a learned man who is at the top of this university. And these are very carefully, carefully crafted comments, statements. This is a very carefully crafted speech, which is barely longer than a soundbite and which is intended to attract people to that university. And he states the world in which we live equally distributes talent. The world does no such thing. The world does not distribute talent. What do you think the world is? Is the world the earth? Is it the land masses? Is it the water? Is it the atmosphere? Is it the heavens? What is the world? Is it Mother Nature? You know, that euphemism? Or is it the people on this planet? However you care to define the world, the world doesn't distribute talent. God Almighty does. This statement from this CEO, chairman of the board, chancellor, president, chief operating officer, whatever his titles are, is just not merely faithless. It is heathen at the core. And it is so representative of corporate America. It is so representative of academia across this nation. It is so representative of the media, this thinking, this mindset. It is so false. It is so wrong. It is so blind. It is so willfully ignorant and in open rebellion against God. And this nation will never, ever, ever 
have a semblance of greatness as long as the movers and shakers, the brain trusts, the leaders not only buy into such lies as this, but promote and enforce and reward and condone such lies as these. I mentioned before about dear old Iran (laughs) and statements from their bigwigs And I'm going to reiterate some of that and just go a little bit deeper. But before I do, let me say this, that I'm Brad Thomas. And this is After All is Said and Done, in case you missed the introduction to the program. So you know who's to blame for this program. But let me go further to say this, that whatever's good or true or right, honest, faithful, praiseworthy, wise and wonderful about this program. And I'm, I'm being poetic there where I say wonderful, like the books from James Harriet, uh, All Things Wise and Wonderful. Whatever is praiseworthy is thanks to God Almighty, is thanks to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Whatever's wrong about it, whatever is lacking and failing is thanks to me. All right, so... The Iranian supreme leader, right? They love these titles. Ayatollah Ali Khamenei or something like that. Anyway, he said the following, quote, Reagan, meaning former president Ronald Reagan, Reagan was more powerful and smarter than Trump, and he was a better actor in making threats. Dot, 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 end quote. But he said that Reagan failed against Iran, that Iran beat Reagan, and that Trump is going to fail against Iran, as Reagan did. Well, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan, I've mentioned before that even though I think he was the greatest president that this nation has had in a long time, that nonetheless, that he certainly failed time and again. He did as governor of California, he did as president of the United States. And certainly... One of his great failures was in the Middle East. But rather than take time to go over that at the moment, let's just focus on Iran and the United States for a moment. You recall that President Trump has recognized the establishment of Jerusalem as being the capital of Israel. Shocking, terrible, horrible. How dare he do such a thing as that? Well, folks, Jerusalem is the historical capital of Israel. The historical capital of Israel when it was a unified nation back in so-called antiquity, and then when it was the divided kingdoms of Judah and Israel. Back in the good old days, back in antiquity, pardon me, Back in antiquity, back in 
ancient civilization. You know, Jerusalem was the capital. The capital of Judea coming forward up to when not only had Alexander the Great invaded and crushed all of the Persian Empire and Egyptians and the Holy Land, as it was called then. Not making any reference to Islam, but the Holy Land of Israel. Jerusalem was the capital there. And then on up through the Roman occupation, Jerusalem was the capital. But of course, Islam laid claims later on. Britain became occupying force after defeating the Ottoman Empire there. And then Britain turned its back on the Jews following the end of World War II. Britain turned its back on the Jews after having turned ships back, ships filled with refugees, Israeli refugees who had survived the Holocaust, turned them back, sent them away, sent them back to Germany and such. Then Britain pulled out of what was referred to as Palestine, took all of their weaponry with them, all of their soldiers, They left nothing behind for the Jews to defend themselves with. The Jews who had made their way there despite what Britain did. This was Britain not under Winston Churchill, but under the socialists. As Winston Churchill was immediately kicked out of office following the end of World War II in Europe. Five weeks later, he was no longer prime minister. And then the massive attempts by Islam, by the Islamist regimes, Not merely to overthrow the Jews, but to annihilate the Jews. How did that differ from Adolf Hitler's final solution? How did that differ? Because you will never in your lifetime hear the major media players refer to the concerted, orchestrated efforts of the Islamist regimes to not merely conquer Israel, but to literally annihilate all Jews and Christians there. And miraculously... Miraculously, the Jews and Christians survived. Yes, some died, but they were not conquered by Islam and they were not annihilated by Islam. And a great many Muslims fled. And then, of course, In succeeding years, not only have there been many attempts by the Islamist regimes again and again and again to destroy Israel, to annihilate 
Jewry and Christianity there. But all of these diplomatic efforts to attempt to get to coerce Israel to give them back territory from which they can launch their attacks. And the United States of America over and over and over again has leaned heavily on Israel and coerced it to jeopardize itself, to jeopardize the people of Israel. (laughs) And many of the people there in Israel are Arabic. But, and Ronald Reagan had a hand in that. But Iran was shocked, of course, about this, about President Trump recognizing Jerusalem. So what did Iran do? Iran, in response to Trump's recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel, Iran, in turn, has recognized Jerusalem as the capital city of the Palestinians. (laughs) The former Philistines, the Palestinians, it's their capital. Well, the Iranian regime... The Iranian Islamist regime is locked in a uh, battle, if you will, against common citizenry, not merely against the Christians, the Christian minority in Iran, and whatever Jews there are there, not just against them, but against the common people who cannot eke out a decent living. And that's what the current unrest is about, is millions and millions and millions of people who view themselves as having no future. A great many of these are college graduates, and there is nothing for them in terms of employment and in terms of being able to plan a life, a hopeful, productive, prosperous, fruitful, happy life. And so they are protesting against this exceedingly repressive, ruthless, vicious murderous, militant Islamist regime. Unfortunately, absent miraculous intervention from God, they are badly up against it. And President Trump made this quote. He loves his tweets. He's the Twitter chief, of course. The world is watching. Well, again, as I mentioned before, the world is watching. What does that mean? What significance does that have? The world. How much of the world matters with regard to that? If we're talking about the Russian Federation, the Russian Federation backs this Islamist regime in Iran. Okay? They're buddies with them. Communist China Similarly, North Korea, communist Vietnam, Laos, Burma, Myanmar, and then on to the various Islamist dictatorships and so forth in Africa and elsewhere in the Middle East. So what is it as far as the world that's watching that matters? We have communist nations here in the Caribbean, in South America, in Central America, on up into Mexico. We have all of the Islamist nations from the Pacific Ocean through the Indian Ocean 
to the Atlantic Ocean. So the world, what is the world? I guess in addition to the United States of America, this includes the British Commonwealth, so-called, you know, Australia, Australia, New Zealand, and Canada, and UK, then Ireland, and Scandinavia, and Northern, so Northern Europe, Western Europe, Southern Europe, maybe even Eastern Europe. Hmm? So they're watching. What does that mean? That means they're going to hold Iran accountable or something? They're going to prevent the Iranian regime from slaughtering these millions of people? Do you really imagine that? They're going to go to war. There's going to be a third world war, and it's going to be waged against Iran because these various Western nations are shocked, enraged, appalled about the treatment of millions of college students and college graduates in Iran. Really not a chance. I mean, this is, this is just a matter of bluffing is what this is. That's all it is. It's meaningless. Well, in light of that, let me reference something else. Sweden. Sweden, which is, which historically has been the most left-wing, the most socialist of the Scandinavian nations. It is currently preparing to issue leaflets to 4.7 million households this spring. And those leaflets are warning citizens in Sweden urging them to prepare for crisis and catastrophes in peacetime, but also for different kinds of attacks on society and Sweden. Remarkable. You know, Sweden does not have that large a border with Russia, relatively. Finland is the one that directly borders Russia on its eastern border, Finland's eastern border, Russia's western border. Finland does. And Finland, that's basically flatland. And the Russian armor and so forth can just roll in, in addition to, of course, the Air Force and the Navy and what have you, can certainly attack Finland With ease. I'm not saying destroy Finland utterly with ease without suffering some casualties of their own, but certainly they can attack Finland easily. Sweden, where is their border with Russia? You know, I mean, they are close for sure as far as for Russian Navy attacking across Baltic oceans or sea, if you will, or the Arctic. Ice cap. And then Norway, I guess you could say, is the furthest removed. And we're talking about extremely mountainous terrain and so forth. But Sweden is not the first line of defense. Finland is. And yet Sweden is so alarmed. It has become so alarmed about Putin's Russian regime that it is taking measures to attempt to defend itself from Russia. A remarkable, remarkable change. You know, if if it were the United States, you know, if the U.S. government was sending out leaflets... (laughs) Can you imagine what would be said about the Trump administration, about Donald Trump and about his presidency? Can you imagine? Well, that's going on currently in Sweden. Remarkably enough. Incredibly enough. You know, various different things have been said with regard to Donald Trump and uh, about his health and... uh, 
about his dietary habits. And there was a, a story here just the other day about his health condition and, and so forth. And there have been previous stories. Well, it takes me back to dear old Bill Clinton, Bubba. And all the, the silly things that were said about him with regard to his weight and his diet and this, that, and the other. Not substantive things. Not about the ruthlessness of Bill and Hillary. Not about their depravity, their immorality, their viciousness, their violence, about, about all of the other things, but instead about her appearance and his appearance and their daughter's appearance and all this stuff was going on back in 92, 93, and so on and so forth. And it absolutely just riled me to the core that these People supposedly on the right, so-called the right, conservatives, neoconservatives, whatever, detractors, they're focusing on all of this trivia instead of the substance, instead of what mattered. But, of course, that's gone on with regard to Trump. And here I saw a story about the unhealthiest presidents in the United States. And it it goes along, ties in with this about these uh, reports here about Trump. And you know what? It doesn't matter. I mean, it really doesn't. Sure, if you're healthier, then you're able to have more energy and so on and so forth. But it doesn't really matter. You could be crippled as FDR was. You could have all of the health problems that JFK had, some of which were self-inflicted. That doesn't determine what kind of a president you're going to be, how effective you're going to be. It comes down to your morality, your godliness, your righteousness, your character, your convictions, your wisdom or lack thereof, your intelligence. comes down to all of these things that really matter, your faith. But it doesn't really matter how healthy and vital you are. Well, a a precursor of things coming around the world in Venezuela, here south of the border, northernmost South America, in Venezuela there is a cash crisis and you cannot withdraw one single solitary dollar from the bank. Uh, (laughs) Amazing. Perhaps we can expect such things in our future. No, not that this is a communist regime here. Not that this is a socialist regime of regimes, even though it has become more and more socialist. But perhaps we can expect such things in our future. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you. Thank you.